It's of the heart. See, there it is. Romans 2, verse 29. But circumcision of heart is an Old Testament commandment. It's an Old Testament concept. It was required in the Old Testament. It's always been required along with the circumcision of flesh. It's not new. What he's simply saying is, you could go ahead and cut away your foreskin. It doesn't make you anything if you're not doing the covenant, which was, I agree to do everything that comes out of your mouth. The obedience. What was the circumcision? The sign of that agreement to do everything he says. In itself, it wasn't anything. It was just a sign of something. And that something needed to be in the heart. Circumcision of heart. They'll say now, oh, there it is. We're not circumcising in flesh now. It's of the heart. See, there it is. Romans 2, verse 29. But circumcision of heart is an Old Testament commandment. It's an Old Testament concept. It was required in the Old Testament. It's always been required along with the circumcision of flesh. It's not new. What he's simply saying is, you could go ahead and cut away your foreskin. It doesn't make you anything if you're not doing the covenant, which was, I agree to do everything that comes out of your mouth. The obedience. What was the circumcision? The sign of that agreement to do everything he says. In itself, it wasn't anything. It was just a sign of something. And that something needed to be in the heart. Circumcision of heart. They'll say now, oh, there it is. We're not circumcising in flesh now. It's of the heart. See, there it is. Romans 2, verse 29. But circumcision of heart is an Old Testament commandment. It's an Old Testament concept. It was required in the Old Testament. It's always been required along with the circumcision of flesh. It's not new. What he's simply saying is, you could go ahead and cut away your foreskin. It doesn't make you anything if you're not doing the covenant, which was, I agree to do everything that comes out of your mouth. The obedience. What was the circumcision? The sign of that agreement to do everything he says. In itself, it wasn't anything. It was just a sign of something. And that something needed to be in the heart. Circumcision of heart. They'll say now, oh, there it is. We're not circumcising in flesh now. It's of the heart. See, there it is. Romans 2, verse 29. But circumcision of heart is an Old Testament commandment. It's an Old Testament concept. It was required in the Old Testament. It's always been required along with the circumcision of flesh. It's not new. What he's simply saying is, you could go ahead and cut away your foreskin. It doesn't make you anything if you're not doing the covenant, which was, I agree to do everything that comes out of your mouth. The obedience. The scripture text for the sermon is found in Romans chapter 2, verses 29. Real circumcision is a matter of the heart. It is spiritual and not literal. True Christianity is being lost. To die to the world and live for God is now considered a new idea. The unconverted think that dying to the world is foolish and impractical. 
Another spiritual truth that is thought to be foolish is the circumcision of the heart. What is the circumcision of the heart? Well, the circumcision of the heart involves being cleansed from sin and renewed in the spirit of our mind. Those of us who have this circumcision are to be humble and filled with faith, hope, and love. Nevertheless, we acknowledge that we continually need God's help to stop sinning and renew our souls in holiness. We no longer desire worldly praise, but rather seek the praise of God by doing His will. This faith is the only spiritual medicine that can heal us. Faith is the strongest power we have against the world. Faith affirms that Christ died for me and the whole world. Faith breaks the power of sin so that we may totally yield ourselves to God. A circumcised heart gives us hope and assurance that we are God's children so that we can run the race with confidence toward victory. Strengthened by discipline, we turn away the defilements of our flesh to become temples of God. To all this, we add love. For love is the greatest commandment and the fulfilling of the law. So that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Loving God and enjoying him forever is the ultimate goal of our heart. Well, how can we know that we have a circumcised heart? First of all, true humility is a key sign that we have a transformed and circumcised heart. Also, we live by faith and trust in the power of God. We do not follow materialism and the lust of the flesh, but rather we are led by the Holy Spirit into all truth. We have received the new birth and the assurance and joy that we are children of God. Many unbelievers deny that their hearts can be changed by God. Some think they can save themselves by some easier way. But the Apostle Paul made it clear that discipline and self-denial are the true way to holiness. Finally, love is essential. For if we do not have love, we are nothing. Love is the summation of the perfect law. It is the true circumcision of the heart, which leads to the mind of Christ, where every motive, thought, word, and deed is done for the glory and love of God. It goes along with our lesson tonight. But let's go to our book and jump into God's word here and get blessed in sharing his word. Question one. Someone tonight, if you have your Bible or your iPhone, go to Romans chapter 2, and I want somebody to read verse 17 through 20. Romans chapter 2. Again, Yes, sir. Okay.
Amen. We're talking about the law, what's included in the law there. And over in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession, thank God. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That's an important verse right there. And then the rest of that question, question 1 says, the Jews felt they had an advantage over other people and took pride in that advantage. What might explain their proud thinking? Why were they thinking like that? Why were they so proud? They, they thought no. they were the chosen one. Okay, they thought they were a chosen one. And what else? Yes, yes sir. They, they held the oracles of God or the word of God. Amen. Yeah. Amen. They followed the law, didn't they? Yes. Praise God. Anybody have anything else other than that? Great. That's They're talking about the law. They really had the law down path, the Jews, didn't they? They knew about the Old Testament law. And number two, question two said, scan Matthew 23, 23rd chapter of Matthew said, scan that to see Jesus' perspective on the Jewish leaders of his time. How accurate was Paul's description of the Jews? And when you look at Matthew 23, look at some of the things that, that said in there. Jesus says, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Apparently that wasn't where they're supposed to sit. Therefore, all that they tell you and do observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and don't do them. It says, and they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They weren't going to do it, were they? But they, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries. We're talking about what the high priest wore and what they wore when they went and worshipped God. They broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love the place of honor at banquets. Anybody ever know anybody like that? They love to be noticed. They love you to see them at the head of the table at banquets. This is what Jesus is saying about the Jews there. It says, uh, and they like respectful greetings in the marketplace. And they like to be called by men, rabbi. Oh, you gotta call me rabbi, because I'm a rabbi. That kind of thing Jesus is looking at. He's saying, wait a minute here. And then 11 says, he's talking to us then after saying all that, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Wow. Whoever exalts himself is what? It's going to be humbled. Number 14 says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, even while for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you receive greater condemnation. You know, Jesus was a little upset there. He's tired of looking at people who are, you know, putting themselves first. You see that a lot today. 
Men put themselves ahead of God. Well, this comes first and Jesus is somewhere down the line. That's not what he wants, is it? So the rest of that question says, what is the perspective? How accurate was Paul's description of the Jews? Was he accurate? Yeah, because why? Yes, sir. Uh, Liz wrote a comment in the chat, and I'm, I'm trying to pull it up. It says, I think Paul was accurate because he said they do not follow the law. They enforce it. In other words, they 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 make rules for thee and none for me. Yeah. In other words, everybody else has to do the rules, but they don't apply them. Right. Amen. Okay, then number three says, what point do you think Paul was trying to make to the Jews with his incisive, incisive comments? What was he trying to make to them? What was he trying to get them to understand? Well, that's one thing, yeah. But, but what, what did he want them to do? What was he really trying to make the Jews do? Anybody? Yeah, some of them are lost. And a lot of times that they don't realize they're lost. I, I talked to y'all about this uh, last night in the teacher's meeting. I was listening to one of my friend's pastors, and he said when he was up north, he would always, people, it was a pagan area. He was in Chicago. Nobody really believed in God that much. So he said he always had to deal with the pastor at answering questions. But when he moved to the south in Tennessee, he started having the question answers. In other words, that a lot of people assume just because they're in the church, they assume because they go to a certain denomination or they were raised in the church or they handed the preacher their hand that they really yeah. have a relationship with God. And that Amen. needs to be the case. Yeah. He was letting them know they needed to change. That what they were doing wasn't correct, wasn't right. They needed to change. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm reading. I'm not going to. I'm not double dipping. This is Go ahead. Liz. Liz wrote, he was reminding the Jews of their status and calling as God's holy people, how they are set aside and shouldn't uh, and, and, and shouldn't just talk about it, but be about it. Amen. And, but uh, Dave. Going back to Paul's original point in verse 17. Yeah. He says, now, you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law. Yeah. To grace, yeah. Yeah, amen. That's important when they're... God wanted to know about grace. Because you get so stuck in the law that it becomes a root. You know, you just want to do the law, do the law, do the law. There's no feeling there. There's no love there. No. Yeah, a lot of them would not change what they were doing. Yeah. And Jesus was all about change, wasn't he? Definitely all about change. In Romans uh, chapter 2, number 4 here, the effect of duplicity. The Jewish leaders considered themselves guides and teachers. What key element of being a good teacher were they overlooking? Who has that? Romans 2, 17 through 24. Somebody read that for me. 
Yes, sir, 17 through 24. Yeah. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and we test in the law, and makest thou boast of God, and knowest his will and his approval, the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish. Mm. which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Amen. Okay, the Jewish leaders considered themselves guides and teachers, didn't they? Right. But what key element of being a good teacher did they overlook? What was it? What were they overlooking? Uh, Bob? By yeah, by example. And also about teaching themselves. When they were teaching, were they picking up that teaching? Were they teaching themselves while they were teaching others? It's important when you're giving out information, when you're teaching something, that you know what it is you're teaching. Because the enemy will take it and use it otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. And, uh, so that was his main point on that. that. That was good because the world watches us. And if we don't practice what we preach, they say, oh, yeah, there's another example of a Christian. Can't live it. So why should I have to live it? Right? And I would have. Yeah. Correct. Using a dictionary, define blasphemy. Somebody do that. What does blasphemy mean? You take a look at Webster's, what does it say? Oh yeah, uh, what else? What, what, what does it say? Yes, sir, uh-huh. Are sacred things talking against sacred things in which way and what way do you think the Jewish leaders blaspheme God's name among the Gentiles uh oh Amos 2 4 through 8 I'll take a I'll read that one thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Judah and for four I'll not revoke its punishment because they rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. Their lies also have led them astray. Those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah, whoa, and it will consume the cit citadels of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they sell the righteous for money and the needy as a pair of sandals. Wow, okay guys. In what way do you think they blaspheme God? 
There are at least three different things here. Exactly. You know, I am number one. I'm it. And that's one of the enemy's big strategies, even with Christians, to separate your thinking, to separate you from your brothers and sisters so that you think you're above all that. You don't need to fool with them. They're not where you're at in the Lord. Yeah. And that's, that'll stop a person from wanting to accept Jesus or wanting to follow the Lord when they look at somebody like that as an example. Right? So we have to watch that. And also, the Jewish leaders blaspheme God by not keeping his statutes, his commandments. And their lies did what? Led them astray, away from the Lord Jesus, away from God. How can you avoid blaspheming God's name? Read Romans 6, 11 and some other verses there. We'll take a look at that. This is a good one for all of us here. Even so, consider yourselves what? To be dead to sin. That's a tough one, is it not? We need to consider ourselves dead to sin. It's hard to commit a sin if you're dead to it, right? And God knows what we have in our heart that we're keeping alive, right? right. And he's, he's a perfect gentleman. He won't make you get rid of it, whatever it is. But he says, just this, this, be dead to sin. If you're dead to it, you can't get it wrapped up there all the time. The enemy likes to bring back the same whatever he's using against God. Yeah. It could be lust. It could be drinking. It could be doing drugs. It could be, yeah, battle of the mind. It could be as little as putting yourself, you know, ahead of everybody else. God, what did he say earlier? I want you to be servants to others. Amen? Humble yourself. And through Christian TV sometimes, unfortunately, you see people on there teaching, you know, you can have a new Cadillac if you confess this, or you confess that. All that kind of stuff. Or send me a hundred bucks and you'll get blessed next week. <laughs> That's bad. It's really sad sometimes. We've seen that over and over and over again. And where are they now? See? We need to learn how to be what? Dead to sin. That's why we have a Bible. That's why we have two knees to pray on. That's why we have a pastor to go to when we need him. Or even a brother or sister. So he's certainly, he wants us to be dead. To sin. Yes, sir. No, I was just going to read what Liz wrote. Uh, she was saying to avoid blasphemy against God by abstaining from sin. Be, be a spirit and not a spirit. That we should be a spirit and not of the flesh. Amen. Yep. Yeah, how can we avoid blaspheming God's name? How do you avoid it? Walk according to the Spirit instead of the flesh. 
The devil wants you to get up here and walk in the flesh. God says, no, I want you to walk in the spirit. If you're walking in God's spirit, you take time to pray. You read your Bible. It's not as easy for the devil to get you walking in the flesh. Because once he starts you walking in the flesh, oh, there's another side road I can go down. You know, God didn't say I have to do this, you know, that kind of thing. So walk according to the spirit. We need to do more of that. When you look at what's going on around the world, even in the church, how important it is to start walking in God's spirit, praying with one another, loving the brethren and sistren. <laughs> Sometimes we're guilty of not doing that enough. And when we start loving one another, it's a team concept, and it's hard for the devil to get through to that. You know, right. none of us is perfect. Boy, we're glad that Jesus came and died on a cross for us, right? right. And all of us would be in a pickle, wouldn't we? <laughs> and what did he say to the thief on the cross? That thief had probably never served God a day in his life. And yet he got hung there on the cross and said, Jesus, I'm not worthy, but remember me when you go to paradise. And what did Jesus say? Today you're going to be with me in paradise. God knows our heart. Again, talk about circumcising our heart. You know, getting rid of the junk that Jesus doesn't want in there. Yeah. Amen. Okay, Romans 2, 25 through 29. Who wants to read that little chapter there, that little piece? Deuteronomy. 30 verse 6 but it's about Romans 5 25 through 20 Romans 2 25 through 29 it's cross reference to Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 yes sir somebody read that for me Exactly. Now, which one was that, brother? That was 25. 25, 25 okay. It says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Amen. Nothing more miserable than a Christian walking around with an uncircumcised heart. They're miserable. Because they know they need to have their hearts circumcised. And when they cry out to the Lord, Lord bring, remove it from me, circumcise my heart, that I might walk uprightly. Amen. Yeah. Because then the devil gets a hold of starts out with a little, look at what happened this week in a bank building. This young man went in there and started killing people because he was getting fired that day. Now that's where the devil has a hold of somebody's mind. And uh, that he, evidently he never circumcised his heart, but we need to learn how to do that. Circumcise our hearts. Say, Lord, I want to die to sin. 
I want to die to anything that doesn't make you happy. Like I said, we're not perfect. But he wants us to start taking time to do that. What needs to accompany circumcision of the heart? What needs to accompany that at the same time? Well, yeah, obedience. What else? Yeah, discipline. How about keeping the law? Once we have circumcision of heart, we don't mind keeping God's laws. Praise God. In Paul's view, number 10 here, what makes a person an authentic Jew one of God's people? It's kind of a repeat question of what we are just talking about. Yeah. Right. And that's what does it require? Circumcision of heart. Pastor, I a question. Yeah. And I guess it's a question of home. We know about the circumcised heart, but what do we do with the hardened heart? For the heart that, for people who, when you remember when you first came to Jesus and everything was bright and sunny and everybody was friendly? <laughs> Yep. And then after you went through some things in life and you lost some people or got some sicknesses and stuff and you turned around and it seemed like even your love it waxed a little cold uh-huh. um, or you had become a little hard-hearted. Anybody ever found themselves in that position? Oh, yeah. Yes, you indeed. You feel it like you, like you used to. Um, that's, that's something for, and as he's talking to the Jews, their God's chosen people was you. At some point, they knew God. Mm-hmm. So these aren't novices; these are right. And I think that's a valuable lesson for us today, because it's so easy to let the cares of the world harden your heart. Amen, Pastor. I can verify that one. It's so true. It's so true. Lily said the same thing. An authentic Jew is washed by the Holy Spirit and trusts Him in all things. Amen. Amen. It's so prevalent today. You see a lot of pastors going through uh, depression, disillusionment. Oh, a pastor's not supposed to go through that. Well, yeah, they do. (laughs) And God will pull at them to come back his way. God will touch their heart, even if it's a hardened heart. God will bring something across their path. He'll bring someone across their path. It says, you're on my heart, brother or sister. I want to pray for you. That's about the only way we can get that hardened heart soft again to Jesus. He can circumcise our heart all day long. But sometimes he'll send someone to help with that, to help us get before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry I had a hardened heart. I need it softened again. That's important. It's important, especially with all that's going on today. Some of the Jews were, count number 11, were counting on rituals like circumcision, but ignoring the real heart of of living as God desired. On what kinds of things do we sometimes falsely depend to gain God's approval? What kind of things do we falsely say, I'm going to depend on this to get God's approval. What is it? Well, what we gave my tithe last week. 
<laughs> yeah. Amen. That's a good one, brother. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> that was pastor, everybody. <laughs> oh, praise God. Keeping the law outwardly, not within the heart, right? We think, people think that I'm, I'm keeping the law. I don't got to worry about it. I'm doing what the Bible said to do. Yes, sir, Bob. Yeah, what about that, huh? And you went away because why? Yeah, he, and the fact is he didn't want to give it up. He didn't want to change. Exactly. Pastor Ernie, too, yeah. um, it goes back to when we started in Matthew 23. Because all those things that we mentioned that we think um, there's nothing wrong with church attendance, there's nothing wrong with tithing. There's nothing wrong with those things. And I thought, but the problem is, it's the same thing as faith without works. One activates the other. Uh, yeah. Matthew 23, 23 says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now he says next, these you ought to have done without neglecting the other you blind guys strain a gnat and swallow out a camel. And the reason I say that is because sometimes when people hear things like that, they'll, they'll say, well, I don't have to do this, I don't have to do that. It's not this or that, it's this and that. Which means that, yes, you should come to church, but you should come to church out of devotion for God, not so to see it. So the pastor will ask where you are. Yeah, you should give tithe and offering, but not just to feel like you've done something for, for God out of a grateful heart. For God loves a cheerful giver. And yes. So, uh, more so, less more than the action, it's the motive behind the action. Why you're doing what you're doing. Really yeah. matters. Amen. That's good. Number 12, Romans 3, verses 1 through 3. Somebody want to read that one, please. Romans chapter 3. Somebody hasn't read yet. Verse 1. <laughs> Don't laugh. Victor. <laughs> Romans 3, verse 1 through 3. Who's got that? Who said? Oh. Oh, there it is. Verse 1 through 3. Well, go ahead, Linda. Read it. Oracles of God. 
What is oracles? Huh? Laws. Anything else? Pastor? Or? Word of God. Laws. Amen. It says, what significant advantage did Paul see in being a Jew entrusted with the oracles or laws of God? Amen? And B to that question, why did Paul see it as an advantage? Why did Paul see that as an advantage? Being entrusted with the oracles of God. Why was that an advantage for him? Anybody know? And and the whole law was what was righteous. Amen. Has God provided you with some advantage or opportunity? What is it? How are you handling it? Oh, yeah. That must mean you got an answer, Victor. What is it? <laughs> Somebody. Has God provided you with some advantage or opportunity? Yes. In other countries, poor people are really poor. They don't have welfare. Here, we, our poor people have this to eat. <laughs> so, yeah. it's, that, uh, it, it's a little different. God has blessed us all uh, with some advantages and some opportunities. Um, some of us may be managers at our job, and there may be somebody faithful that we see, that, or, or we may have influence on our job, but we can bless somebody else with the opportunity to. to get their livelihood going and buy that offer an opportunity to Christ. I think mm-hmm. all of us have some kind of advantage in some way. Yeah. The key is what you can do. Right. And what if someone was to ask us or ask our pastor, what about those people in other countries, Christians and they're poor as a church mouse, and yet over here Christians have jobs and they have money. How do we answer that? Okay. God has called me to be a living representative of Christ. Some days are better than others. It's about Christ. Yeah. If you ask about what about poverty in both places? Yeah, what about the folks like Christians over there? They don't have a new car. They don't have IRAs, anything like that. But they love Jesus. So if someone comes to you and says, well, why are they not blessed? And we're blessed over here. Right. So if he's given you great wealth, if that great wealth comes great responsibility. Yes, there you um, go. And so that's the thing you have to not negate that 
give us a blessing like a dollar. You might have fifty thousand dollars, and it's just like a dollar to you. You know. Right. And so we're responsible to be good stewards of what God has given us. Yeah. Well, yeah. Other countries like China, you could you could go to prison for that. Sister, you had your hand up. Oh, give her a microphone, sweet. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's, a big blessing. that's a real big blessing, isn't it? Yes, it's not material. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you can be, uh, you don't have nothing, but you, when you have a peace, so it's bigger than everything. And you can have money to buy some, all the stuff you need, but you, you can buy peace. It's right. only Amen, sister. Amen. That's right. How many have seen a Christian brother or sister going through all kinds of junk, and yet they got a smile on their face. Yeah, they got peace in the middle of a storm. Isn't that true? Yeah. I've seen that myself. And, and uh, it's important. Okay, let's see. Put in your own words the teaching that Paul is refuting in Romans 3, verse 5 through 8. What is the teaching that Paul is refuting in those verses? Victor, you got those, buddy? Uh, do you want me to read it? Yeah, would you? Just five those three. Through five through eight. But if our righteousness commends the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous? Who taketh who take vengeance? I speak as a man. Yeah, you know, Paul is refuting someone faking God's righteousness. They don't realize God knows the heart. He knows if you're faking it or not. You know, you can't, you can't. And, and do not do evil that good may come out of it. That's one, you'd be surprised how many people get caught up in that one. I'm going to knock his lights out because I think it'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. You can run into that. And I know there are Christians, uh, Brad Burke, he was my black belt. He's a cage fighter. He's a born-again Christian. Sometimes I said to him, Brad, you go in that cage and knock people's lights out, but yet you're in church on Sunday morning. And he said he witnessed to people the locker room he, with four world titles, I guess. But anyway, that come across my mind. I did the same thing. Stupid. But uh, there, I ran into Christians in, in kickboxing a lot. And I, you know, I couldn't say, well, you're not a Christian. 
But that kind of thing, God's watching for that too. <laughs> Romans 3, verses 9 through 19. The universal, the universe, how do you pronounce, universality of sin. In one short sentence, how would you describe Paul's conclusion about the condition of Jews and Gentiles? What was Paul's conclusion at the end of all that? Yes. Nope. No one seeks the Lord, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. It is acceptable for the goodness of the Holy Spirit to draw us to God. Mm -hmm. And we can't use that as a license either. Oh, everybody's come short of glory of God, so I can do this, I can do that, I can take drugs, I can do this, because God's grace, you know, we have to be careful with that. So strong condemnation of sin, I believe, is Paul's conclusion. All through the writing, you see that, where God condemns, and he talks about condemnation. Yes. eternal life. Jesus Christ Amen. Amen. And he is faithful and just yes. to forgive us our sins. Yeah, that's another one. That's another one. <laughs> Verse six, uh, question 16 says, Paul wrote that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Generally, what is the relationship of one who is under to the one who is over? What does this relationship say about sin's power? Under versus over. If you're under sin, you're you're in it, right? Yeah. Liz wrote, under equals slave to sin, over mm -hmm. equals free of sin. Amen. The relationship between man, I don't know how she typed with that. The relationship <laughs> between man and sin is very powerful because man instinctively lets flesh lead them. We must become complacent. We be, must not become complacent in our sin and take the grace extended to us to reign. Amen. Sin kind of has a 
chokehold on those who are under sin sometimes. It takes God's power, his presence, and his love to break that chokehold. I'll tell you from... Yes, ma'am. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I can tell you sometimes from the martial arts prospect, chokeholds are hard to break. And for that rear-necked choke, you've only got four to five seconds to tap out or you're out. Yeah. Then you can be gone forever. But that's, a, that's an example. When Satan tries to put a chokehold on you, what does it take to break that chokehold? What does it take? What does it take? I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Um, one of the things that we don't often talk about is oftentimes it takes a change in environment to come out from among them and be receptive. Oh, yeah, that's true. Amen. And a lot of times the reason we can't get out of certain situations is because we're still hanging around certain people that do those things. And we think we can hang around them that do these things and we're going to be okay. Well, I'm growing, I can handle myself. If you can handle yourself, you wouldn't have the problem in the first place. Come out from among them. And be separate. And be separate, says the Lord, that you can love people, but you can't hang out with people that's doing what you used to. Amen. And we both know a certain biker. <laughs> yeah. We both, we both know a biker. <laughs> Down at Gibraltar Trade Center, uh, every Friday night was bike night. And we always had a table set up with Bibles and scriptures and, you know, testimonies on there and T-shirts, biker T-shirt, Christian biker. So one night this certain person that both Pastor and I know was there and he had on a vest that he used to have when he rode with another group. It had a one percenter patch. And so here comes four of the outlaws with uh, Joey Bag of Donuts, who's the president, stopped at our table. And I'm going, uh-oh. And he said to this person, take that vest off. You're not a one percenter anymore. And he used the F-bomb three or four times. But the person we both know had his nine-year-old daughter there. So I'm thinking, oh, man, here it goes. Because on the other side of the table was the president and his warlord and another biker. So the Lord intervened there. So I, I asked uh, Joey, I said, hey, you got a Bible, Joey? And he is a, actually had a business where he does stuff in wood, you know, programs and stuff and writes stuff. So I said, let me see some of your work. Got him off track. We actually got him to take a Bible. That's one of the meanest dudes in the whole country. But again, like Pastor was saying, this other person that we know, kept going back to that same group of people and his idea was, oh, I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to share Jesus. And he did a few times. I won't put that against him. But mostly he went, went back and they saw just what they'd seen before. Yeah. An outlaw biker. Yeah. 
So that's important about how we conduct ourselves, what people see. And it's, uh, God can use that. Yes, ma'am. Uh huh. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Literally makes you sick to your stomach because you realize where you were and you'll be just like like the like prophet, oh wretched man that I am. Apostle said every time I would do good, evil and devil approach, uh present for me. You could hear how disgusted he was with himself. <laughs> uh Lord save me from this body of death, you know. And yeah. and that that should be our posture, not in condemnation, but God I want to please you, but certain things when they come up to me. Just, it just makes me sick that I ever did it, and now it makes me sick to think that I could ever go back to it. Amen. You know? Yeah. That's like me. I can't climb back in a ring anymore for kickboxing. I'm too, I'm too old. No. <laughs> I'd break something. <laughs> but no, things that we used to do a lot of times we don't do any longer. And sometimes God can use those same things, you know, to bless us. Yeah. Another thing I don't do is jump out of airplanes anymore either. Dave. <laughs> yeah, Dave. <laughs> Dave still jumps out of airplanes. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Brother Bob has jumped out of an airplane. Yeah, Bob. A, bu- a bucket list is what they pick you up in if the chute don't open. <laughs> oh, Lord. Where am I at? Oh. <laughs> do, do you think people would be sensitive to sin without the law? Whoa. Think about that for a minute. Take a second and think. Would they? No, I'm sorry. Would you repeat the question? Huh? Oh, I'm, uh, do you think people would be sensitive to sin without the law. Why or why not? If they didn't have the law, would they be sensitive? Uh-huh. Look at Adam and Eve, though. Here's Adam and Eve. They knew they were naked, but they didn't have the law. Yes, sir. Praise God. Yep. Amen. Okay, one last question tonight. If the law does not make us righteous in God's sight, 
What does? Faith. What else? How about God's grace? Thank you, Jesus, for that grace. Or we wouldn't be sitting here, a lot of us, right? Thank God for the grace. Anybody have any comments or questions tonight? Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> How many people are so glad that we have an eternal home? So glad that when Jesus breaks that eastern sky open, which he might do any day now, <laughs> that we're going to go home to a better place than we are right now. Because of what? Because of the blood of Jesus because he died on Calvary so that we could have eternal life. Thank God for that. That ought to be enough to keep us happy till he comes back. See, the devil likes to get in there and put things to make us grumpy and irritable and upset when we have eternal life. We have Jesus to look forward to, eternity in heaven. Do we go through things here? Yes. You know, we got to be responsible. We got to learn from our mistakes. Yeah, we got to be accountable to God, to our pastor. But, you know, we can still have the peace of God when we're going through things. Amen? Anybody, any questions, comments? Yeah, what? Uh-huh. Uh, this brings me to a question. I have three guests to win this, okay? Mm. And I went back to work, and they're like, well, how can you go through this? How can you keep, you know, working? And I'm going to miss you all these, like, these guys that I work with. They can't tell nobody, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot, huh? But thank God for his presence and his grace. I know I do. And back in the summer of 2010, Christine had that stroke. First thing I wanted to do was say, God, why? <laughs> we were in the hospital eight and a half weeks. I slept by the hospital bed in one of those reclining chair things. 16 months of rehab that I went through with her. Closed my karate school and all this and that. And then the doctor let her go back to her classroom to teach her science. And they pushed her out. So I was M-A-D, mad. Lord, forgive me, mad. I was angry. <laughs> but God has a reason for doing things. And I said, but God, we still have a home in heaven, her and I both. And the things we lost, God can always replace. Amen. So don't let the devil start throwing things at you to make you, you know, depressed, upset. Because we have an eternity, millions and millions of years, to spend with him in that beautiful place called heaven.
Amen. Right. The, the Bible tells us up front we want to suffer persecution, mm-hmm. trials, and tribulations. So the Bible tells us we want to go through stuff. Sure. And uh, you know, I remember back in the sixties there was old, this old song that says, "I beg your pardon, I didn't promise you a rose." Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that one. And neither did God. Now God promised us a rose garden in heaven. This life, exactly. You know, Sure. But you know what it was? Has, has a, a lot of things that we go through uh-huh. is not to, uh, you know, because we're a Christian or not a Christian. Yeah. Sometimes it's just because we're a human and we're in this thing called life and yeah. we got to navigate through it. Uh, but the, the, the thing is, is trust God with all Yeah. And yep. to look to Him as the answer and not the cause of our circumstances. Well, what's sad too is in the late 70s and 80s, we have brothers and sisters out there teaching us that whatever you said with your mouth, you could have, you know, confess it. And there's some truth there, but there's a lot more. I saw a lot of people get disillusioned and hurt by that message. I've confessed this the last six months. How come I don't have this or that or the other? That's sad. Yeah, expectations of, you know, I'm confessing with my mouth. They use this as an ATM card instead of God's holy word. And I think that messed up a lot of people's faith. You know, and they don't want to go through anything anymore. They want to. Well, sure, I I can give you examples of that. Yep. There were a lot of people who were good salesmen, good salesmen who would sell you something. He doesn't tell you about the fine print. <laughs> Yep, exactly. Just toss that over, 
open up the Bible, yeah. going through and find a good Bible-based teaching church, and go into it again. That's why I'm so glad when we engage in God's Word, so you can read and see the truth for yourself. Right. Yep. Amen. Praise God. What? Huh? Oh boy, that last, our Good Friday should teach us that. <laughs> that Good Friday service we had was fantastic. Wasn't it? God showed up. Huh? Wow, that's a good one. And he said, truly, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's why uh, Christian unity is so vital. This is why Christ prayed in chapter 17 of the Gospel of God about being one in God. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fellowship is very important. I, I don't think people realize that. And this yeah. is why, I'm sorry, uh, this is why I advocate, I advocate the, you know, gathering in the house of God, assembling ourselves. Right. Oh, yeah. Because he is everywhere. My fellow brothers and sisters in Christ cannot be everywhere. If I come here, I can have fellowship. I can't have fellowship with you that I see here sitting on my couch. <laughs> Look at the upper room when they all gathered there after oh, Jesus God. crucified. They, ga they gathered in that upper room together. God's disciples. A lot of them, they weren't sure what happened. And in the middle of them gathering together, Jesus showed up. He walked right in there, spoke to them, breathed on them. All that kind of stuff happened. But then you know what? He loves us so much. He came back there for one person. Who was it? No, who was it he come back that, that didn't believe that he'd been crucified or was having doubts? Thomas. He came back there just for Thomas. So we have an individual relationship with him and a group relationship. So that kind of stuff's important. Amen. Brother Ernie? Yeah. Uh, concerning uh, fellowship, I mean, how many times has God spoken through the mouth of a brother or sister? You know, oh, yeah. Words that you needed to hear? Oh, yeah. Lots. You didn't, you didn't get it in the prayer room. You didn't get it anywhere, but 
sometimes if you had a supply, uh, a need supplied, oh you yeah, a brother or sister. there you go, yeah. Sure. Yeah. The first church, they sold stuff. Yeah. And had all things in common. Wasn't that nice, boy? That was, that was a blessing. Church was full. The music was playing. We were worshiping. 